Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Welcome back, everyone. Just a quick video today on the Chinese property market and the fallout of the Evergrande collapse, where we'll look at what's going on at Chinese land auctions over the last few months and how this is affecting local government revenues. The Chinese government's push in the last year or so to reduce leverage across the property sector in China and increase affordability has driven Evergrande and other private sector Chinese developers to the brink of bankruptcy. And I've covered that story fairly extensively here on my channel. Property development in China is estimated to make up about one third of total economic output in the country. Now, one of the many problems being caused by the rapid real estate slowdown is that the biggest source of income for local governments in China is the money that they raise when they auction off land for development. And the right to develop this land has typically been bought up by private property developers like Evergrande. In China, the history of private home ownership is quite short. When Mao took power in 1949, the state seized all private property, and the state continued to own all property up until the 1980s, when Deng Xiaoping began experimenting with private property ownership in select cities. Since then, Chinese real estate prices have skyrocketed, such that China today has some of the world's most expensive real estate relative to income. In some Chinese cities, the average home costs over 25 years of average household income. That compares to eight years of average household income in New York City. The real estate boom has widened the country's wealth gap and is leaving many people, particularly the young, out in the cold. Chinese leaders have talked for quite a while about reducing property speculation, but very little has been done as real estate development made up such a huge chunk of Chinese GDP. Now, amid a broad effort by President Xi Jinping to promote what he calls common prosperity, we're seeing Beijing step firmly on the brakes. In China, all land is still owned by the government, but it's leased out to those willing to develop the land. When citizens buy homes from developers, they're essentially taking over the lease on the land, which for residential property lasts 70 years. If the lease was granted to developers 15 years ago, but the land was only recently developed, home buyers might only have 55 years left in the home. There have been very few tests as to what the expiration of leases in China might look like, as this approach is quite new. In 2002, some 20-year land leases in Shenzhen expired, and property holders there had to pay 35% of the assessed value of the property for a 40-year extension on their lease. Those unwilling to pay faced losing the property with only the depreciated cost of any development on the plot as compensation. It's easy to look at the collapsing property market in China through a critical eye and blame the current leadership and maybe argue that they should do something to stabilise prices. But the real problem is the bubble, 
which has been rapidly inflating for the last 20 or more years. The government has attempted to slow things down in the past, but there's never really been the political will to really step on the brakes. And so the bubble inflated and inflated based on more and more leverage. I can't actually think of an example of a bubble in market history that slowly deflates either. In most of these situations, prices either rise rapidly or fall rapidly when people lose faith. Governments around the world talk about the problem of housing affordability, but it's very rare to see anything been done about it as homeowners vote and most politicians know that they'd be quickly voted out of office if home prices fell on their watch. But there are few places in the world where real estate speculation has gotten as out of control as it has in China. Crushing the big privately owned property development firms or doing anything to increase the affordability of real estate in China has this knock-on effect of slashing local government revenues, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. The less land is worth, the less revenue local governments bring in through selling leases to developers. So this is a difficult balancing act for Beijing. In China, while there is an annual tax on commercial property, there's generally, with a few small exceptions, no annual tax on residential real estate. And this means that local governments must fund themselves through land lease sales. There have been some property tax trials in China and the Chinese government appears to like the idea that such taxes would reduce the incentive for people to buy homes and leave them empty as investments. Such a tax might in the long run help local governments break their reliance on land sales. But obviously these property tax trials are controversial in the way that new taxes always are. And if you think about it, if you're paying 25 times your annual household income to buy a home on land that you don't even own, and then you have property tax tacked on top of that, it all becomes a bit much. The biggest problem for local governments with funding themselves through a property tax is that even if these taxes were rolled out nationwide, the revenue raised would only reach a fifth of the $1 trillion a year that land sales currently bring into local governments. So one way or another, local governments in China might be getting squeezed a bit going forward. Okay, so what's been done by Beijing to remedy these problems? Well, what we're seeing right now is the Chinese state-owned developers are stepping in to take the place of the private sector, to buy up land at land auctions, which will be providing revenue to local governments. Over the last three months, state developers have bought three quarters of residential land sold at auctions in 22 big cities by value, according to a Financial Times analysis of public records. They had previously purchased only around 45% of land plots sold at auctions. So this is a big increase in activity. But is it enough? Well, not really, as since September, almost a third of all auctions have failed, with no bidders turning up willing to pay the minimum price. Previously, the auction failure rate was 6.5%. So really what we're seeing here is a total disappearance of private sector bidders at land auctions, and a lot of land auctions failing altogether. In Beijing, which has historically been a hot auction market, 60% of the plots on offer at the most recent auction in October failed to attract any bidders at all. 
This is a stark contrast with the auctions from a year and a half ago before the government interventions, where at some auctions land sold for 130% above the asking price. There's been a flip from a red-hot property market to an almost dead market where the only buyers are state-owned enterprises. While the Chinese government has eased some policies to relieve the pressure on China's property sector, it's shown no sign of backing down on the strict three red lines policy that limits leverage amongst property developers and has pushed Evergrande and a few other developers to the brink of bankruptcy. China's central bank recently published data showing a strong year-on-year increase in mortgage lending in October, and it appears that the government's current approach to stabilising the property market is to increase mortgage lending, but this is not enough to keep things moving. It's not really clear what can be done at this point, as obviously a property collapse is not good for the Chinese economy, but any intervention to prevent one right now just pushes it out to a future date. Chinese private sector developers who were active bidders at auctions a year ago are now entirely focused on reducing their leverage to comply with the three red lines policy. And so they're unlikely to return to land auctions anytime soon. They're really just hoping to survive the downturn. So who are the state-owned firms then that are stepping in at land auctions? Well, many of them are what are known as local government finance vehicles, or LGFVs. These are highly leveraged state-owned businesses, which have traditionally focused on infrastructure projects rather than on residential real estate. LGFVs have accounted for about a third of land purchases by value at auction since September, compared with just over 10% earlier in the year. Many Chinese cities and provinces rely on LGFVs to raise capital on their behalf to get around official restrictions on taking on leverage. Prior to the real estate crisis, LGFV borrowing made up almost half of China's new business loans and a third of corporate bond issuance, according to official data. As a group, they were China's biggest spender on construction projects, prior to the real estate meltdown, and now they seem to be the only buyers left. These state-owned enterprises were struggling to raise money last year after a series of defaults by state-owned groups like Yongcheng, Coal and Electricity rocked the country's credit markets in November 2020. The defaults last year at state-owned enterprises shattered a long-running perception amongst investors that authorities in China would always step in to rescue financially imperiled state-owned groups. And this relates somewhat to the Evergrande situation, where investors in China are realising that certain investments that they believed were government-backed are not. Chinese LGFVs were experiencing their own credit crunch this time last year, so it's a bit interesting to see them stepping in as land buyers providing cash to struggling local governments. If we view LGFVs as overleveraged state-owned firms that are used by cities and local governments to get around official restrictions on taking on additional leverage, The fact that these are the only buyers at land lease auctions might be viewed as local governments taking money out of one pocket and putting it in another. Foreign investors who invest in China have seen China confront many difficulties in the past with great success. 
But Xi's China may not be the more capitalist version of China that these investors are used to. The goal of Xi's common prosperity campaign in China appears to be to rebalance income levels in the country through transfers from those who are rich to those who are not. There's a lot to be said for the creative destruction of allowing bloated and overleveraged companies to fail, but it would appear that Xi regards all Chinese companies as instruments of a one-party state. The failing companies may not be replaced with more efficient and better managed companies, as you would hope, but instead with overleveraged state-owned companies who make investments based not upon their expected return, but for political reasons. It's too early to know right now, but investors must ask themselves if Xi is putting in place an updated version of Mao's party. If that's the case, investors will need to be very careful. See you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.